Welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast. In this podcast, we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we do tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors too. Hello podcast listeners, I'm Alan Collins and I'm joined by my colleague Sam Barker. Hello. And we are also joined today by Dr Michael Salter, Associate Professor of Criminology at the University of New South Wales. Hello Michael. Nice to be with you. Thank you very much. So what we're going to be looking at in this podcast is sexual violence in GBQ relationships. And we decided that we would make that the subject of this podcast because you've done a bit of research, as I understand it, Michael, into this particular aspect, so to speak, as into this issue, um, the sexual violence in GBQ relationships, because the research that I've read produced some very interesting findings and results. My research team was approached a couple of years ago by the, the major LGBT health agency in, in my state. They were particularly curious about doing more work with men, with um, gay, bisexual and queer men around domestic violence and sexual assault. And, and they were looking for some research to inform their community programming work. And so we, we undertook a survey of about 900 men, so, uh, so gay, bisexual and, and queer men, uh, and that's inclusive of trans men and also men with um, intersex conditions, and really just looking at what their views of healthy and unhealthy relationships were, their experience in their peer groups with their friends, whether they thought their friends were in healthy relationships, and also their willingness to act as bystanders. If they saw something going wrong between men in a relationship, were they, were they willing to intervene? I was particularly interested in consent because we see cases where consent is a big issue because there seems to be some misconceptions about what consent actually is. How did that fit in with your research? Yeah, it's quite, a, it's quite an interesting issue for us here in Australia. We've had a, a really high profile kind of national discussion around consent in heterosexual relationships. And it's been, it's quite a, a core concept for us when we're working with high school students around sexual violence prevention. But when we look at relationships between men, there's some similarities, obviously, but also some differences for gay, bisexual and, and queer men in terms of the context in which sex takes place, the, the kinds of arrangements people might have in their relationships, and also um, higher rates of alcohol and drug use, which, which complicates questions around consent when we when we in our survey we we specifically asked the guys about the formal standards of consent and they were actually pretty clear about what consent meant and what consent did not mean we saw very little endorsement of what we call rape myths so for example we asked uh, one of the questions that we asked was if a man gets an erection during a sexual assault is that really is that really rape and nobody agreed with that. You know, it was 98%, I think, were very clear that that would still be a sexual assault. I think where, um, where there's, there's more questions for us and we're keen to do more work is around, um, for example, sex on premises venues where people might be quite alcohol and drug affected. What, what's men's understandings of sexual ethics when it comes to, for example, a very intoxicated partner? 
Michael, so your article was very, sorry, not your article, your paper was, uh, research paper was very interesting. And also one of the things that I was thinking about is coming from Australia and, and knowing how much publicity we've had around domestic violence and sexual violence, that gay relationships wasn't really in much of that public discourse. And is that is that something that kind of what fueled on this this research and, and your findings? Yeah, but, I've, you know, I've had a lot to do with a lot of the Australian work around preventing domestic violence and, and sexual assault. And, you know, it, it's in relationships with men that women experience the majority of, of physical injury, for example, um, yeah. and indeed psychological injury in, in adulthood. What we find when we look at men who have sex with men is that we have the same rates of sexual assault as heterosexual women do. And we have equivalent, if not higher, rates of intimate partner violence. So I think the, the the discussion that we've had in Australia has been, you know, as you know, really front page news for five years yeah. around male and female violence. I think what the GBQ research shows is that, to be honest, anyone, anyone of any gender who is engaging sexually with men is a risk of sexual violence and is a risk of domestic violence. And there is a broader piece here, not just about kind of heterosexuality, but I think a broader piece around kind of male sexuality generally, because we're, we're seeing very similar dynamics playing out between men who have sex with men. And but there's also this suggestion that there was, whilst it was seen as wrong, but there's also this suggestion that it was normal. Yeah, there, there was a few interesting points from the research that we we're keen to follow up. We had some open-ended questions where men could um, – we, we asked them specific questions and, and asked for answers that they could type in. So it wasn't a multiple-choice question. And often what they were typing in, it wasn't an answer to the question we were asking. They were typing in things that they really wanted to talk to us about. Men were expressing a lot of concern about sexual coercion and sexual pressure in the gay community, that men felt like they were under a lot of pressure to have sex and to be sexual – and that with that had come a kind of a normalisation of sexual coercion. So not necessarily the normalisation of sexual assault, but, you know, the, the kind of male stereotype that men are always up for it and men always want sex uh, and so on, it's kind of amplified in the gay community because there's no kind of opposing norms of kind of modest femininity to kind of put a bit of a break on that kind of quite, it's quite a macho sort of culture that we can see building up around some gay men and with that was a bit of an attitude that some of the guys talked about which is just that you don't complain you know if if sexual assault happens or if domestic violence happens that as a man you just kind of suck it up and move on and so it is it's a kind of a machismo that we see broadly amongst men generally but that playing out in particular ways amongst gay men yeah, coming um, going off on a tangent slightly, but we'll need to come back to that. This co- business of coercion, the, you know, Ooh. threats, blackmail, whatever we want to call it, that must negate consent. So is consent becoming blurred in GBQ relationships? Look, I don't know if it's blurred in, in GBQ relationships. I think there are factors that are elevated in the gay community that we know are associated with issues around sexual consent. So uh, on, a, on, on average, so again, we're just talking about averages, but gay and bisexual and queer men consume more alcohol and drugs. And so th- this, this, can, this complicates negotiating consent. 
and also sex on premises venues, the normalization of, of certain um, sexual patterns through bathhouses and grinder. And I'm not I'm not pathologizing men's sexual behavior here, just noting that these are not issues that I think the gay community has been comfortable talking about. You know, we are an oppressed you know minority and there there is a lot of pressure on us to maybe not talk about some of the community issues so that we don't invite more homophobia and uh, and also you know most gay health agencies are funded to do HIV research they're, uh, sorry HIV uh, prevention work what, what is HIV apologies traditionally Michael. funded to do domestic violence and sexual assault work sorry Michael what, what is HIV work what does that stand for uh, sorry so so when, when we look at the UK or the US or Australia, the majority of health agencies in the LGBT community, their money comes from, is they're funded by the government to do HIV prevention. So they're funded by the government to do oh, condom HIV, distribution, condom reinforcement, safe sex campaigns, essentially working with, with men to reduce rates of HIV transmission. Sorry, I'd misheard you there. I thought you said HOV and I thought it was standing for, I thought it was an acronym for something that was specific. I was thinking, Sam, where have you been for the last 30 years? But no, anyway. no, no, no. <laughs> Apologies for that. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so very serious subjects, but it's, it's, yeah, it's good to have a little dose of um, a little bit of humour to sometimes. <laughs> so it sounds to me as though there's a big need somehow or other for education because... From what you're saying, from, you know, the responses that you were getting, there was clearly a need for the participants in the research to offload a lot of information and a lot of concerns. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the guys were really very clear and quite accurate around consent, around what is sexual assault, what is domestic violence. You know, they had very strong views about that. You know, they were, they were very negative about it. And, you know, one of the things we asked them was also about whether they had witnessed any examples of domestic violence or sexual coercion, and two-thirds of them had. But, but of, those, of those men, the majority intervened. When they, saw something was, when they saw something wrong in their friendship group, when they saw something going on between two men, they did something. And, and we were really interested in that because... What we want to do and what we're looking to expand is a community conversation with men. This isn't about lecturing guys. This is about finger wagging. It's about a community conversation with men about sexual ethics, about sexual consent, and also, you know, how can we support men to intervene constructively and safely if they do see somebody getting rough with their partner or if they are at a sex on premises venue and they see someone who's quite vulnerable because they might be high or they might be drunk, what are the things that they can do to reduce the risk of harm? And and yeah, and there was a lot of guys that in the survey they wanted to talk about what had happened to them. And I don't think that you know we've maybe we haven't offered guys a space to just talk about talk about something that's happened to them that's made them upset. So is, the result, so is the outcome of this study that you've done to put together kind of information for this community to be able to, I guess, know how to appropriately respond or, you know, figure out how to respond to those kind of situations? Yeah, so we partnered with uh, ACON, which is the AIDS Council of New South Wales. Okay. And the, the, the research fed into 
a website called um, sayitloud.org.au. And the website is really just about starting these conversations. ACON's really good with facilitating community conversations, so community forums, bringing guys together, just and starting not just talking at them but listening to them about what they need and what they're looking for and the best way for us to, to help and support guys. And I think there's some broader questions as well about sexual assault and domestic violence service provision. You know, guys don't necessarily, you know, they, they don't have exactly the same needs, for example, as a heterosexual woman with kids who's fleeing a, a battering husband. But, you know, what, what, what's, the, what's the right way to support, support a guy to leave a, a violent relationship with another man? And we need to build those models up and start implementing best practice. Well, it sounds like really, really important work for harm reduction. And um, thank you for coming on the podcast and discussing it with us. It's very much appreciated. Yeah, thank you, Michael. One, one last thing. I recall it used to, used to be able to see it on YouTube sometimes, and I think it may have been on one of the Australian television channels. It was a sort of mini soap based in Sydney, and it focused around some friends in Sydney in, in the gay community, and it looked at these various issues of relationships and so on and various you know crises and problems and challenges and so on and that seemed to be very informative and it was very popular do you know the program i mean i don't i'm afraid alan i'll have to look it up yeah okay just thought anyway thank you michael much appreciated and thank you podcast listeners and thank you sam thank you all thank you thank you for listening to this episode of hj talks about abuse You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. If you would like to speak to Alan or I about something you have heard this week, or even if you would like to suggest a topic for a future episode, please do get in touch at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk. 